Uh, these two sections, chapter 1, verse 6 to 10, and chapter 5, verse 1 to 12, kind of form bookends that cement the main section of Paul's letter. And so main themes, important ideas come up in both these texts. So notice the repetition of, I guess, a severity of tone. Words like, again, uh, the emphasis on God's grace in Christ. And God is the one who has called these Galatians. So kind of look out for these things. So let's read Galatians 1 verse 6. You and I'm quite boomy out here. Could you turn me down just a little bit? So let's read chapter 1 verse 6. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have said already, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Turn over to chapter 5, reading from verse 1. Verse 1 is important. Focus on this verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? And kept you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I'm still uh, preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators... I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Uh, Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, it says in these verses that just as a little yeast can work its way through the whole batch, a wrong understanding of salvation, even in just one person, can have an effect on a whole group. And so I pray for every one of us this evening, that you would correct any lies, any false understanding about salvation in Christ, that the gospel would be preserved in all its purity here, that some might find liberty and freedom in Christ. And so we pray for your Spirit's help tonight, in Jesus' name.
Amen. We're going to focus mainly tonight on verses 1 to 6 of this passage. Uh, But look with me briefly at the start of verse 7. You were running a good race. You were. Do you remember report cards at school? Uh, My memory of report cards is mixed. But there was always these little phrases that were repeated in report cards that you dreaded. Uh, Three words I remember. Could try harder. That one came up a lot. One other one was, uh, has potential, if only he applied himself. Uh, And these kind of phrases are intended to produce a blush in those who it is written about. Now verse 7 has that sense. You were running a good race. You were. But in reality, Paul says of these Galatian Christians, you know what? Not so anymore. Uh, you've stalled. Uh, there is a yesterday nest to your faith. And I would guess that that is true of some here this evening. Maybe you feel that that is a report card one-liner that could be written of you today. Do you know what? You, you were running a good race. There was a time when you were loving Christ. You were delighting in the gospel. You were thrilled at the grace that you had been shown. You were excited to tell other people about him. You were living for Jesus. You were. But maybe you've stalled. Uh, maybe there is that yesterdayness to your faith in Christ. Uh, the great thing about this evening is just as Paul writes to the Galatians... Through them, he writes to us, to you tonight, with a message, with wonderfully pastorally uh, significant words. And just as in verse 2, he says this to you. Listen, mark my words. To those of you who were running a good race, mark these words. Listen to these. Because I want to care for you. I want to help you. And these are the two words we're going to hear over and over again tonight. Stand firm. Stand firm. Now that's comforting already because to those who were running a good race, he doesn't say, okay, start running again. Get back in the race. That would be too much effort. That would be too much depending on us. Instead he just says, okay, let's keep this really simple. Stand firm. Stand firm. So here's what we're going to see. We're going to focus first of all on verse 1. Seeing that we have been freed for freedom. First one is really a summary of uh, the whole of Galatians. Positively, it states the truth of the gospel, and negatively, it counters the major lie that is going on in Galatia, in the church. We read in verse 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's the positive truth. The negative counter of the lie is then, Stand firm then, do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. What does Paul say to those who were running a good race? First thing he says is, okay, let me remind you of the gospel. Here's five words for the gospel. Christ has set us free. That's the glory of the gospel. The gospel is a movement from slavery to freedom. What was true of every Christian? Once upon upon a time, they were in slavery. Uh, The law had locked them up, enslaved them to its curse as they were held in the prison of sin. And not only was the law like a burden on their back, but actually 
It was a deadening power stopping them from earning or achieving their own salvation. So not only is the law like a burden, but it's carrying a burden through an ever-lengthening and ever-deepening sea of treacle. That not only does it lock you up to its curse, but it deadens any hope of salvation. All it does is increase sin. But what is true in Christ? Five words. Christ has set us free. See the movement from slavery to freedom? And how has Jesus done that? Galatians earlier on has said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse. What happens on the cross at Calvary? Jesus becomes the curse that lawbreakers deserve. He becomes the curse. He takes the curse that was mine. And he is slain by it. He is in prison to the point of death that I might be set free. He suffers for my sinfulness that I might be gifted his righteousness. So that the Christian can say, Christ has set me free. It is a movement from from slavery to freedom. But the important thing to notice is, Paul not only reminds them of the gospel, you see, he also tells them of the purpose of the gospel, the end of the gospel, the goal of the gospel. What does verse 1 say? It is for what that Christ has set you free? For freedom. How obvious is that? It is for freedom Christ has set you free. You have been freed for freedom. Uh, The end of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, is that the freedom it gives is to be enjoyed. Why did Christ set you free? Not to be entangled again into slavery, to enjoy the freedom that Christ has freed you for. Now the second half of verse 1, as we've seen, is the negative counter. Why does he need to remind them of the gospel? Because they are in danger of, although Christ has taken them from slavery to freedom, they are in a real danger of moving from freedom back to slavery. See what he says? Don't be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Why, why this movement? It seems that, uh, I guess from their own proud self-righteousness and also from the influence of these false teachers, they are moving back to be feeling the, the weight and the fear of the condemnation of the law, but then also looking to the law to be the means of getting right with God. Rather than standing firm in Christ and the freedom that he has won for them, they are moving back to the very slavery that they have been freed from. I don't know if you, do you remember the story of the Chandlers who were captured by the pirates in Somalia? Do you remember them, this couple? So they were on their kind of lovely cruise or whatever they were on, and they were captured by these Somalian pirates. And their loving friends and family uh, amazingly raised over half a million pounds as a ransom price to set them free. And a couple of years ago, they came back to the UK. Now, on the, on the news two weeks ago, I don't know if you heard this. The Chandlers announced to their friends, their family, and the press, they are going back. Uh, they want to finish their trip. They are flirting with this very thing that got them captured by these pirates. Now, if I was their friends and family who had forked out over half a million pounds, I'd kidnap them, I think. <laughs> Wouldn't you? If, if I have paid the ransom price... 
and they are going back to flirt with the very slavery that I have freed them from, I'd be a little bit miffed. But the Galatian Christians are doing the very same thing that the Chandlers are doing. Paul is saying that as going back to fearing the condemnation of the law and looking to the law as a means of being right with God, they are flirting with slavery again. They're moving from the freedom that Christ has won for them at the cost of his own life on the cross, not half a million pounds, and they're moving back to that slavery. And Paul is a wise pastor sees, anticipates that movement and so writes this, these two words to them stand firm resist that movement stand firm he calls for a fighting, steadfast perseverance, not in going back to the slavery of the law but standing firm in faith in Christ alone the picture that comes to mind, you cannot preach a sermon on freedom without mentioning Braveheart but this, there's a, there's a kind of seen in Braveheart, where the English army are careering towards the Scottish line on horses. And William Wallace is there, well, Mel Gibson is there, shouting, hold! You remember that scene? Hold! And he's calling his troops to hold the line, stand firm. That is Paul here. Now the Scottish army are about to bring out spears to kill the English. Resist that, don't go that far. But all he is saying is, hold the line, stand firm, do not move but stay in faith in Christ. You get that? Stand firm. Don't flirt with slavery again. Don't go back to what you were freed from. Stand firm. Now Paul then goes on in verses 2 to 6 to show us the only thing that counts. Uh, The movement that these Galatian Christians are tempted to make uh, it's very different from the Chandlers. The Chandlers is a physical flight from London, I think, to the Seychelles, they were saying. Uh, for the Galatians, it's not a physical movement that they're in danger of, but a movement of their confidence. How will they gain a right standing with God? And they are in danger from moving from faith in Christ to a confidence in their own works for God's law. And Paul wants to lay out two very exclusive principles to the Galatians in very black and white to say, stand firm here, do not move back to there. Let me show you these two exclusive principles. Have a look at verse 2. Paul writes, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now, there's two exclusive principles here. You can either seek to be justified by the law, or you can seek to be right with God through faith in Christ. You choose either circumcision or Christ. One or the other. Everything or nothing. To have one is to lose the other. To place your confidence here is not to place your confidence here. Do you see that? Let me show you again in verse 4. He repeats himself. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You either seek to be right with God through the law or through Christ. It is everything or it is nothing. To choose one is not to choose the other. To stand on one is to be alienated from the other. Do you see that? Now the Galatian Christians were trying to seek to be justified by being circumcised. Uh, there was a thing in the news this week, 
uh, that Paul sent me about circumcision. It's not every week the circumcision is in the news. You probably wouldn't want it in the news every week. But um, in Zimbabwe, wasn't it? Zimbabwe, a man is standing up saying, to stop the spread of HIV and AIDS, uh, men across our country should get circumcised. And he has even convinced some of the MPs in Zimbabwe to get circumcised to stop the spread of HIV. Now, the issue in Galatians was not for the sake of physical health, but there were men standing up saying, for the sake of your eternal health, you need to be circumcised. You need to put your faith in this work of the law. But look what Paul says in verse 3. If any man lets himself be circumcised, he is required to obey the whole law. You cannot just take a token law, one work, to find yourself right with God. Paul says, uh, if you're choosing circumcision, that is salvation by works, not one work. You need the whole law. You need perfection. And tonight, for those of us who may be in danger of uh, stopping running the race, for those of us who deserve the report card, you were running a good race. He wants to show us really clearly these two exclusive principles and say, okay, where are you standing? Where are you placing your confidence? Uh, We can use the language of the passage to make this clear. Have a look at verse 2. There's four things that will come up on the screen. First one, are you putting value in your own works? Are you going to say, the value on the final day when I stand before the Father is going to be in my own works? Paul says that is slavery. That is a burden that you cannot bear. Are you standing here? My works. Or are you going to stand in faith in Christ saying, my only value, my only hope, the advantage and benefit for me on the final day is Christ alone. That is where I am banking everything. Because I have not kept the law. I need Christ. What about, we can use the language of verse 4. Are you going to stand on your own? Are you going to stand alienated from Christ, saying, okay, on this final day, I am willing to stand before the Father and bank on my own works as being enough? Or are you going to stand in faith in Christ and say, on my own, I deserve nothing but condemnation. And I'm going to unite myself by faith to Christ and plead his works in my place. Again, the language of verse 4. Are we going to bank on our own works? The third one, are we going to say, okay, it is all about what I have done? Or are we going to stand in faith in Christ? Next one, Andrew. And are we going to say, do you know what? I am going to cling to grace. It is not about what I do and what my deeds deserve, but I am going to ask for what I do not deserve. The grace of Christ to cover my sin and to gift me the righteousness I need. Fourth one, are you going to work for your own righteousness? Or in verse 5, are you going to wait for righteousness? Read verse 5 with me. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. You know, that is a wonderful thing about a Christian. They are not slavishly working to be righteous. They are in the freedom of waiting. 
They do not have to work wondering whether they will be good enough on that final day. They wait, knowing that on that final day, righteousness will be gifted to them by God's Spirit, by faith. And the Apostle Paul sets out these two exclusive principles before you tonight. He says, where are you standing? Are you going to stand valuing your own works? Are you going to stand on your own, alienated from Christ, working for your own righteousness? Slavery. Or are you going to stand in the value, valuing the work of Christ, waiting for his righteousness, clinging to grace? Where are you standing? In some ways, Paul says, do you know what? It is not about whether you were running a good race. The question stands to you tonight. All right, where are you standing today? Where are you standing right now? That is what matters. Are you saying, my everything is in Christ? Or are you turning again, moving back to the slavery of the law and saying, it is in me? Uh, John Stott's got a great quote, which is on the next slide. And this is really helpful. To add circumcision is to lose Christ. To seek to be justified by the law is to fall from grace. It is impossible to receive Christ, thereby acknowledging you cannot save yourself, and then receive circumcision, thereby claiming that you can. You add anything to Christ, you lose Christ. These things cannot be blended together. It cannot be a mixture of man's works and Christ's righteousness. It is everything or nothing. He is a complete saviour or he is no saviour. Where are you standing? Where are you standing? A right standing with God comes through standing on faith in Christ. Nowhere else. Where are you standing? Now how does this apply? In some ways, as Paul says, stand firm. He wants to do this because of the purpose of the gospel. You were freed for freedom. It is for freedom that he has set you free. Paul wants you to enjoy the freedom that the gospel brings. Now, I wonder if your Christian life feels more like lethargy or liberty. Sometimes it can feel like real hard graft, can't it? And it feels like, I don't know if I know that freedom. You know, often our lethargy in the Christian life, a lot of our struggles in the Christian life come from standing in the wrong place. A lot of our pastoral issues come when we fail to say, I stand only in the freedom that Christ freely gives. When you understand that, there is a liberty that comes with the gospel. Uh, Let me try and demonstrate this. Um, Let's use prayer to start off with. You're a Christian, and prayer is really hard work. Uh, And if you stand on the law saying, okay, I'm going to use prayer as a performance to gain a right standing with God. This is going to be the means by which I attain merit, and which hopefully God will accept me. If you think of prayer like that, you're enslaving yourself to uh, the burden of the law. You're saying, okay, I need to do this. And prayer is hard. If you stand over here and say, no, 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 Christ has set me free for freedom, then you say, I don't pray because I must, I pray because I can. I don't pray in a way that enslaves me. 
I don't pray seeking that God would accept me because of my prayers. I just pray because I am his son adopted to his fatherly care. There's a huge difference between those two things. The Christian who understands righteousness by faith can pray with huge liberty. Let's take another example, fighting sin. Uh, The fight against sin is really hard, isn't it? Now, if you stand trying to fight sin on in this mindset of my confidence is in, if I fight sin, I will be accepted before God. If you're saying, I'm going to fight sin because I fear hell. I fear the wrath the law brings. You know, your, your fight of sin is as good as over. You're conquered already. Do you know, the Christian who stands in the righteousness that comes by faith saying, my everything is Jesus, doesn't fight sin because they fear hell but fight sin because they know, they know it will hamper their enjoyment of the freedom Christ brings. They know that the sin will entangle them. And they say, no, I want to enjoy the freedom that Christ brings, for I want to fight sin. I want to say no to my lust. I want to say no to lies. I want to say not, no to my pride. Because these things will inhibit and take away my enjoyment of the liberty Christ gives. Are you seeking to fight sin in this enslavement to the law or in faith in Christ? This is freedom. That is slavery. Uh, What about one more example? Uh, Verse 6 ends, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I think that if you... If you are seeking to love other people, serve other people, and you are standing trying to gain favor before God by loving others, it is actually impossible to love. If, if I am trying to love my wife because by doing so I want to gain a right standing with God, I'm not really loving my wife. I'm serving myself. I'm using her to get a right standing with God. Do you see that? Uh, that is not love. That is not service. That is a self-serving self-righteousness. Do you see that? Any relationship. You're trying to please your boss at work because you know the Bible says I should obey my boss. And you want to obey him so that God would be pleased with you. That is not a love for your boss. That is a selfish self-righteousness. Now, rather, if you stand in faith in Christ saying, He is my righteousness. I don't need to try and earn favor with God. I don't need to try and work for my salvation because Christ has done it all. It is only then that I can truly say, you know, I can love anybody. I can serve anybody because I don't need to serve myself. Christ has set me free for freedom so I can be free to get down and serve and love everybody. Do you see the difference between those two things? We will never truly love if we are standing on the law. It is only as we understand that we are saved by grace through faith alone that we will be liberated to enjoy the freedom of serving and loving one another. You could use the example of church. Maybe some of the guys are saying, I must get brownie points for coming to church on the evening of an England game. If you're trying to be justified by coming to church, then church will be a drag. Church will be a chore. Uh, You will not last long. Uh, If you are coming to church because you are trusting Christ by faith, you will come with great delight and joy because it is to learn more of the liberty that he has won for you. 
and to sing his praise with the saints, loving, reveling in his grace. Do you see the difference between those two things? You stand by the law, it will be nothing by slavery. You stand in Christ, it will be liberty. Christian friends, what does Paul say? Stand firm. Where? In faith in Christ. Because it's only as you stand in faith in Christ that you will enjoy the freedom that he has won for us. Don't move back. Don't return again to the chains. But stand firm in faith in Christ alone. Uh, We do need to stand firm. It is a brave heart image. Uh, There is an advancing army. There is an enemy. Uh, In part, it's ourselves. We love to... We love to have something to boast about. It might be false teachers who come in. Uh, It might be the devil. So here is the William Wallace shouting at you, Hold! Stand firm. It's only here that you will enjoy the freedom. We'll get opposition from the world. If you look down in verse 11, Paul calls the cross an offense. Do you know this? This message of salvation in Christ by faith alone, is offensive. It tells the world that even its best works are stained by evil. It says all their efforts are insignificant and the only means of salvation is through the bloodied man dying on a cross 2,000 years ago. It's an offensive message because it's an assault to human pride. But we must stand firm. Not only living by this, finding salvation in it, but proclaiming it to a world that will hate it. Uh, What about if you're not a Christian? I guess you could fall into two categories. Uh, Maybe the category of uh, you're feeling weary. You're feeling you're in slavery. Uh, Maybe you know that burden on your back. You're aware of a sin and accountability before God. Maybe it feels like you're wading through the treacle. And you know, any other religion will tell you that you must do you must do. It will only increase the yoke of slavery on your back. It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ who dies a curse-bearing death that removes that burden, that rids the treacle and says, I die in your place, suffering the curse you deserve to free you for freedom. And it is as simple tonight to take those list of four things to say, okay, this is, what I, this is what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to put all my value in Christ. I'm going to unite myself to him by faith. I'm going to cling to him by grace. And I'm going to wait for his righteousness. That's what it means to be a Christian. To say, I'm not going to put any weight, any value in this. And I'm just going to cling with my everything to this. Maybe you're not a Christian And uh, life doesn't feel like slavery. You maybe think religion is a straitjacket. Religion is a chains. Uh, The Bible's truth says that although it might not be a conscious thing, you are still constrained, a prisoner to sin. Uh, You may be ignorant of it, but you are still accountable to him. And it may be that you even say, do you know what, I find pleasure in uh, my sin. In some ways, that just shows the perverseness of our rebellion. It shows the darkness of the prison that sin is. And uh, Paul says to you tonight, the Lord Jesus says to you tonight, 
that although imprisoned to sin, his cross is the only means of salvation to free you not only from uh, in slavery to sin in this life, but the eternal prison of hell in the next. Uh, you need to put all your value in Christ to cling and to give up your own works and say, I need nothing but grace, God's undeserved kindness. Here's the call tonight. Where are you standing? Where are you taking your stand? In the law or in faith in Christ? Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the Apostle Paul. Thank you that he is not afraid to state the obvious. Thank you that he was willing to be persecuted for the truth of the gospel and that he was willing to stand up to those who opposed it. And we praise you that that gospel has come to us today. A gospel that not only frees us from the penalty and the power of sin, but frees us to enjoy that freedom now and to hope for it for eternity. Oh, we're so thankful for Christ. So grateful for grace. And hoping in that righteousness that will surely be ours on that final day. We praise you. We adore you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.